0: Welcome to the Cryptocurrency Teens podcast, a podcast aimed to educate teens on cryptocurrency and financial literacy. Each episode features thought leaders in the crypto and blockchain industry or inspiring entrepreneurs from the business world who share their career journeys and words of wisdom for teenagers. I'm Abigail Lee, the host of this podcast series, the founder of CryptocurrencyTeens.com and a junior in high school from New York City. It's my privilege to introduce our guest today. Dr. Mark Esposito is recognized internationally as a top global thought leader in matters relating to the fourth industrial revolution and the changes and opportunities that technology will bring to a variety of industries. He is co-founder and chief learning officer at Nexus Frontier Tech, an AI scale-up venture. He was inducted in 2016 in the Radar of Thinkers 50 as one of the 30 most prominent rising business thinkers in the world. In his career, he has worked as professor at Harvard University, University of Cambridge, Holt International Business School, and Arizona State University. He has written 11 books, among which two bestsellers, Understanding How the Future Unfolds and the AI Republic. And his next book, The Great Remobilization, will be published by MIT University Press in the fall of 2022. He holds a PhD in economics from the International School of Management in Paris in a joint program with St. John's and an executive DBA from Ecole des Ponts Paris Tech. Hello, Mark. Welcome to the Cryptocurrency Teens Podcast.
1: Hello, Abby. how are you?
0: I'm great, how are you?
1: I'm okay, excited for this conversation we're gonna have today.
0: Me too. So why don't we jump right in? Mark, I see that you are a professor, best-selling author, pioneer of the fourth industrial revolution, entrepreneur and senior advisor to governments these are a lot of roles um can you tell us a little bit more about each organization and each of your roles there
1: yeah so you know i i always had a very uh, i would say eclectic career i like to do many different things i don't like to stand still and so you know governments have been doing different advising to government since i was much younger you know uh, roughly 15 years ago i was at the u.n and that kind of set me for a more of an international career, uh, more government related uh, rather than corporate. Um, and then I did different things. I was working a bit for the National Bank in Malaysia, um, a bit for European Parliament. I did World Economic Forum. And uh, then now I do work for the prime minister office in the UAE. So it's kind of the trajectory. And then the other side of the story is uh, my academic career. So. Uh, you mentioned it before I, I did uh, been working as a professor for uh, you know 17, 18 years roughly, different places I arrived at Harvard in 2011, uh, explored um, you know different roles, went to halt, uh, did a fellowship in Cambridge and uh, then I started a project with Arizona State. So there are many things to that you know it's, it's part of me being an entrepreneurial academic so to say.
0: Yeah, that sounds really great. So what inspired you to get into the crypto or blockchain industry? And what was your career journey like? I mean, why did you decide to get into this industry when you started out just doing economics? And as you said, you started with the UN.
1: Yeah. So, you know, there's a a story that is related to uh, co-founding my company, Nexus Frontier Tech. Uh, That happened, uh, of course, like most things in life uh, in a very fortuitous way. But I remember that uh, together with my co-author Terence, we were getting more and more into the conversation on technology and how technology was becoming this predominant and propelling force of transformation. So we knew technology was becoming important. And then we kind of channeled this into the effort to uh, start Nexus and Nexus uh, is uh, is an AI firm. So we do machine Mm -hmm. learning. and uh, what we call intelligent automation. And, you know, if you're dealing with AI, you're kind of dealing with blockchain in many ways, right? Because that's uh, an infrastructure that supports many of the the codes that are defined. So I would say I have uh, accidentally found myself in more of the crypto blockchain uh, fintech dimension. Uh, The driver was technology and artificial intelligence. So it's a bit of, uh, I would say, intended and unintended consequences.
0: Right, so what do you do exactly at Nexus Frontier Tech?
1: So I'm the chief learning officer. It's more of a role where I, uh, you know, generate uh, some visibility for the work we do. Um, I do a lot of events where I'm speaking on behalf of the company and, you know, I'm part of the, the core team. So it means that I'm close to what the organization does, but my role is more about Spinning off in a wider sense, uh, given the nat- nature of the network I have, um, I didn't start as a chief learning officer. Uh, for a stint of my time, I was uh, the I was a managing director. Then I became a president. Then I became a chief strategy officer. You know, every company that starts as a startup, uh, you go through different roles. Over time, the role that best suits my my to um, so like you know my capacity is the one where I tend to represent the organization as much as I can in external events. And that's where there's a lot of learning, there's opportunity. And just bear in mind that the book you mentioned before, The AI Republic, was written with Terrence and Danny, who are co-founders. So we've been using the book also to engage a lot with clients. At least it becomes a way uh, to, uh, I would say, diffuse and share knowledge about this topic.
0: Right. Would you like to tell us a little bit more about your books, What's it like being an author, and what you write about?
1: So, um, you know, I've I've been evolving right from the beginning to uh, where I am right now. I would say that a big chunk of the work I've done in my books is uh, related to trends and the future. Um, I want to understand what are the options ahead of us. And, you know, I don't want to do it as a futurist or as a crystal baller. I just want to make sure I, I engage in a serious conversation about the future. So by looking at trends, you, you kind of get the sense of where we had it and you can empower uh, your, your you know, stakeholders accordingly. And from the future to the technology, I started to get more and more involved in, in like redefining the role that AI has in our society. So today I write more about AI, the challenges of governance. Um, how do we make this technology accessible and diffuse um, the challenge with concentration of power in, hand, in the hands of very few people? That's the nature of the writing I have. And uh, my next book with uh, my uh, you know, friends and colleagues, Terence and Olaf, are, uh, is about the, the big reset needed, especially after a time with, um, uh, through the pandemic, right? And that has a conversation related to society, geopolitics, technology um you know that's so like the overall reshuffling of the international order i get interested by the evolution of the world as it is and and i have the luxury basically because it becomes a luxury that if i like to work and study something i can do that right so i get myself right into it and that's how i've been going from one topic to the other but to answer your question it's kind of cool you can write you you get books you uh you share it with people you go to event put it this way Whenever I have to, I'm sure the idea for my Christmas present, I always know what I can give. I give a copy of the book and people think it's cool, right? So
0: I don't know if they particularly want a copy of your book for Christmas, but
1: I don't. That's why I don't have many friends, obviously.
0: <laughs> um, okay, so you mentioned briefly about um, AI in conjunction with the government. So can you elaborate more on the role AI or blockchain could play in terms of like a government?
1: Yes. So I, I, I personally think this is where uh, most of the developments will happen in the future, um, especially when we're looking at blockchain as an opportunity to uh, create uh, an infrastructure of storage of value that currently is not in place. You know, I, you know, you, I guess you are in the US, right? Uh, right. Right. So you go to uh, a medical doctor for a checkup. You got to fill out the form. If you change doctor, you got to fill up another form. If you happen to change state, you have no way to bring your medical records with you. And if you travel internationally, forget about it, right? And I always ask him, why don't we have our medical records on a blockchain to start with, right? Same happens for election. Like we still vote like uh, with ballots, right? Rather than right. having posted our on blockchain. So if you're looking at some of the shortcomings of our current system, It kind of looks kind of inevitable that if we are smart enough, and and that's the big if, we're going to shift some of the government activity to blockchain. So I see this uh, as an opportunity to reform and modernize governments. And then AI kind of builds on top of it, right? It's when you're merely adding the prediction. So can government manage better um, their inventory? Can they manage better the policy for climate change? Um, Can they manage better resources? I mean, that's kind of where AI plays a role. So I see this, uh, you know, uh, self-reinforcing where I think uh, what I think the priority should be for governments are really about blockchain. To me, that's the winning one. If we get blockchain in governments, we change the way governments think. So that's why I think it's important to work in this space.
0: Yeah, really interesting. Actually, just last week, I interviewed someone who was organizing university elections using blockchain technology in Nigeria and it's the first ever it's really interesting what they're doing so I think you're completely right the government should be using blockchain it it could be very useful
1: absolutely absolutely
0: okay so since our target audience are teens around the world who are interested in crypto or blockchain what advice would you give them about entering this industry in the future as a career
1: so I guess, uh, you know, again, I'll be very personal with this. You know, there's been a lot of, um, um, I think, uh, emotion around crypto in the last few months, uh, especially have we've seen uh, Bitcoin skyrocketing and that even people that were skeptical, even if they are skeptical now, they can't deny that this is now becoming uh, national interest. Right. And recently, we even have a government, El Salvador, that Uh, mainly made of Bitcoin and national currency. So this is becoming, I would say, quite big. Um, I would say, start understanding that cryptos are primarily a form of generating some form of proof of something, right? As you know, you guys are already very versed into that. The whole idea about proof of work, proof of stake or proof of ownership with the NFT, right? Um, It's becoming a significant part of the conversation. People understand that the bitcoin conversation has been limited by the predatory and competitive nature of mining we need to shift to a more collaborative form of mining and i think if we can attach the idea of crypto mining and blockchain to a degree of collaboration that can actually leverage uh, where we currently have blind spots where we have uh, inequity where we have a lack of social justice I think we can use this uh, as a way to uh, improve our society. So do not necessarily, and that would be my advice to, uh, to the listener of the podcast, Abi, do not only limit the idea of crypto to money. So start thinking about a much larger sense of, of redefining value. And I always think that the greatest application, for example, of, of blockchain, are not in the financial services. They can be in so many different applications that currently are underplayed. And in fact, one of the things that I discovered uh, through good conversation with my friends, Terence, I didn't know that one industry that is entirely blockchain is the diamond industry, because you cannot afford the reputational risk that the stone gets replaced with a fake one. Right. And I was thinking if we do this with diamonds, could we do this with agriculture, with the uh, you know, supply chain, with the story of stuff from A to B? So I would say get engaged at the much wider level. Do not necessarily uh, not pigeonhole yourself too much. Just around money. It's much more to money, uh, to crypto than money, actually.
0: Yeah. Do you have any specific advice for teenagers looking to get into blockchain specifically?
1: So I would say, you know, learn how to use uh, blockchain on daily basis activities from having maybe a blockchain uh, saving accounts to actually having a blockchain transaction that you can store uh, to actually start thinking about, um, you know, ideas that you're generating. That might be of uh, non fungible tokens, kind of ideas to story on a blockchain. So rather than having blockchain as external to our life, let's use blockchain as a way of reinforcing a culture. That would be my major advice. You know, one of the problems we have with uh, the conversation that we're having now is that for many people, this is too technical, it's too far away, it's hard to understand. We haven't really normalized it, right? Uh, like we do, for example, for social media, for mobile. What we have to do is to make sure that it's becoming part of our life, in which a transaction is stored on a blockchain. You know, We start making sure that it's becoming personable as much as possible. So it's becoming a way in which we're defining um, the storage of value that is not necessarily external to with external companies, external entities, but it's within what we can possibly do. So I would say make the conversation as personal as you can and try to find applications where you can start saying that some of your transactions are now on a blockchain. That makes a big difference because people start feeling that this is real. It's not just uh, lip service.
0: So for the high school juniors and seniors who are deciding which colleges to apply to, do you recommend any good colleges to study crypto or blockchain app?
1: So I you know I don't think that uh, the formal education app is where we should find that. I think, uh, and because otherwise you we create this impression that if you don't make it to a certain kind of university right it's not it's not good enough and i don't think this is what we should say i think it's no matter the program in which they are and the university if there is not a crypto or blockchain community they should actually create one find one right so i think it's not necessarily expecting that this will be done for them they have to actually be the initiator the advice the advisors the pioneers And creating student communities uh, where we're talking about crypto, like you did, I think, with the crypto podcast, I think it's the same has to be replicated around the world where we can have more and more people. So I would say it doesn't matter what is the college as far as it gives you the opportunity to initiate a more structured conversation on this. That would be my advice. Um, Also, because I think the, the key essence here is that there's no guarantee that by going in a given college after you finish your undergrad, uh, you'll, you'll have the relevant knowledge because market these days and employability changes so much. So I would say rather than expecting that education is what will make it happen, keep on having this relevancy by uh, you know attending events, listening to podcasts. I would always say you close the gap between where you are and where you should be on a regular basis. And you don't expect that to come from a degree. And again, I tell you as an educator, right? I working at universities. And as much as I think education is a must because it really gives you an opportunity to reinstate yourself in society, that's no longer a guarantee of employability unless you make it relevant. So I would rather say whatever choice that you know, um, your listeners have, make that a relevant choice rather than thinking it's just with the college brand.
0: Right. I mean, you're a professor yourself, so would you say that, and you have a PhD in economics, so would you say that having this background in finance or business helped you in your career?
1: It did help me uh, to the point in which I was always in a position where I could make choices, right? I think that education is still uh, the best investment we can have. And, uh, you know, when you're going into uh, a PhD, you kind of decide to invest your life into knowledge, right? It becomes your journey. It's easier because you start feeling entitled that you can think about something and you can voice it out, right? I guess it worked well in terms of the confidence that you have about the fact that you are a knowledge worker and, and you are not afraid of learning new things. Um, so it did help a lot. Uh, but again, you know if you do uh, economics or business or strategy and I, when you, when I did it, none of the things we were talking about existed. So is how do you suddenly make it relevant now that you are, uh, yes, educated, but not necessarily educated to understand everything. So how do you find a process in, uh, that you can set up to make you educated more and more? So I have myself taken classes, uh, even after my PhD, just to make sure I could learn. And to these days, right, I was running this uh, fintech and blockchain program with my friend Terence for Harvard, uh, actually this past July. And... We have I have to go back and learn, make sure that I could really get to a point where I could teach right now. You definitely have uh, It's a much faster cycle. So when you go back to school, you you have so many uh, ways to leverage this, make sure that it's becoming effective right away. Uh, but I'm not immune. Um, just to finish on that, Abby, I was talking to a friend yesterday who said, oh, look, it's another professor with a PhD. He said, oh, I'm going to go back to school and it's taking a short program in cybersecurity. Why? We didn't know have, we didn't know about cybersecurity when we went to school, but today's becoming a big conversation. I'm sure it's emerging from your podcast, right? Um, so yeah, just a lifelong learner. That's pretty much the answer. The short answer to your, your question.
0: So you didn't have a formal education in blockchain. So how did you learn about blockchain? And blockchain is an extremely complex subject. So how did you develop a mastery of the subject matter?
1: I don't know if I have a mastery about it, but I I have a working understanding of it to the point in which I think I can I can have a conversation on this and I can see the social and economic implication of blockchain. Um, so I guess what really uh, made that happen to me was uh, the work in the company Nexus, uh, because you know when you're working with data scientists, suddenly the conversation on on data and and storage and cloud and big data and uh, suddenly becomes blockchain are becoming part of a conversation that you're not necessarily escaping. So I was exposed to this. And then there was the need for me to understand what we were talking about so that you kind of go back and refine your thinking by saying, okay, you know, I heard this, what is it about? So I I read uh, constantly on this. I, you know, of course I equally have uh, invested in cryptos myself as the easiest way to learn what it is and you learn volatility on your skin right uh, you understand why these are volatile currencies. you uh, make good investment you make mistakes so you win and you lose you understanding what is actually a wallet right you know why coinbase versus Binance right you start understanding this in the same way I started to get closer to the non-fungible tokens just uh, right before the summer because it was becoming more and more topical so I would say I don't you know I, I never necessarily walk away from an opportunity to learn more about this and I integrated into my thinking. So now you can say, you know, after several years of working in this field, when I'm learning about a non-fungible token and somebody says, could we think about non-fungible assets? It's easy for me to understand what they are talking about because I have a background that understands the difference between the tokens and an asset. So over time, it becomes easier to learn as you're adding on, right? Uh, That's how I keep myself, I hope, a bit on the edge.
0: Right. Do you have any helpful tips for high schoolers looking to learn more about blockchain, like online resources and stuff like that?
1: Uh, Well, I can, rather than online resources, I'll be right, I would say, I personally find that getting a little bit into coding and some of the language like Python really helps not because you wanted to become coders, but, you know, back in my days, you had to study statistics because it was a way for you to understand the language. Right. So if I say percentage, if I say correlation, if I say, you know, probability, I'm using statistical terms that became common. Everybody understand that. Now, I'm not a statistician, so I am not a professional statistician, but I understand basic statistics. Right. Because I learn it. I think coding is really where I would encourage them to take courses on that, not because they should become coders, but because they should understand it as a language. That would be my, my recommendation. So, uh, you know, here's probably where I can be more specific. I myself still go on uh, free courses like Coursera, uh, LinkedIn, uh, Learning Lab, uh, you know, Lulu.com. There are many, right? Uh, edX, edX. Uh, where where with no money or with very little investment, we can get anybody to sign up for courses and take courses. I think the future of education is more democratized than before, especially in in this kind of courses. It's a great way to say, I'm investing myself into that. You can showcase this and you can show off to friends that you're now doing this. It creates a bit of a peer pressure where you say, oh, that friend did a training. I want to do this. Well, you know, here's the bottom line. Build a positive culture about learning. Don't necessarily expect this to be given to you because in formal education will not necessarily give us what we need. Take the initiative. you know you're doing yourself Abby, with your podcast service to make sure that people feel comfortable about this so they' it's not too too uh, uh, too scary for them, right. Uh, I would say just go on Coursera and pick up a course on Python. Learn how to uh, learn a bit about coding. It will give you that sense of confidence that you now understand more. I always say, it's like you're wearing glasses that suddenly make you see colors you've never seen before. And it's kind of say, wow, this is kind of cool, right? And it's kind of, you know, what I I never thought it was. Use education in the same way. You know, add more to your own perception of the world.
0: So what advice do you have for teens regarding the crypto or blockchain industries? Specifically, do you have any safety advice or really any words of wisdom that you would like to share?
1: So I think, you know, your generation, Abby, will be a generation facing some of the biggest challenges because we're dealing with uh, so much instability, right? There is a possibility of using technology to accelerate sustainability. And, you know, your generation does have a sense of responsibility, urgency about, You know uh, sustainability climate you guys are aware right that we're dealing with a significant change in our normal condition of the weather right so i would say try to find a relationship between everything which is crypto blockchain on one side and acceleration of sustainability for two reasons one is so much needed that smart people understand technology will actually be able to help us to accelerate Um, the other thing is is where I think many of the next jobs will actually line up, is in this double transformation. I call it with my friends, Alessandro, um, double transformation is a transformation that happens at the digital level, where you digitally transforming, and the transformation that happened at the sustainability level, where you're mainly transforming sustainability. If we can put together this, this set of conversation about technology on one side and sustainability, I think we're going to be able to truly empower this generation to become arch- the architects of the solution. I don't really trust that we'll ever be the architects of the solution. We're too much ingrained in our own thinking, you know, to change the way we think about the world. Uh, it's difficult, but you guys have a unique opportunity because you are now setting up your your mo- mental models. If you can make it sure, make sure that it's integrating both tech and sustainability, I think it's going to be a winning model.
0: So you're saying that crypto could be used to help with sustainability and environment issues. However, don't you feel like Bitcoin has an impact on the environment with the amount of energy used to mine it and stuff like that? Do you think that poses an issue to the environment?
1: It does right now, because I think we are still very energy intensive about mining, right? But, you know, the problem with the mine is the amount of recklessness we put into mining a Bitcoin it doesn't necessarily have the same input if it's Ether or, or Ripple or any, any other crypto, right? Because naturally, you're dealing with a degree of collaboration that decreases the pressure on how many miners are trying to solve a mathematical problems. So I think over time, um, I, I believe it will become, into, I would say, we will reabsorb the problem over time. Like most of the time, problem where energy is too intense, you can disintensify energy over time. So I don't find this as a problem that we'll have forever. I, I think it's more about moving away from so like the Bitcoin uh, rabbit hole and move us somewhere else. You know, I, I think Bitcoin, you know, again, I want to make sure I'm clear on this. It's the greatest social experiment in modern history. Somebody comes up with an idea like that and makes it work. It's like, wow, I don't need a central bank. I don't need a government. Things are decentralized. There's no intrinsic value. There is immaterial. Still, it has an economic value. Wow. It goes back in redefining the principle of trust. That said, I see this as a Trojan horse towards something greater than just the Bitcoin. So I'm thinking the environmental problem with energy is definitely there. But the nature of new cryptos are very different as well. we um, were no longer as dependent on Bitcoin as we were before. So I, I'm hoping over time we'll decentralize the conversation. So to more sustainable form of energy. Um, Yeah. And and I think it will follow, if we are lucky, a bit of the DeFi movement that I'm sure you've been covering in your podcast, where we are decentralizing financial opportunities. And if we can think about that, what you're gaining is you're giving more access to people. And that's really where the game will have to be played.
0: So Mark, on behalf of Cryptocurrency Teens and our listeners, I would like to thank you so much for sharing your experiences, suggestions and advice. Thank you for joining us on this episode.
1: Thank you for having me, Abby, and I wish everybody, you know, happy moments and uh, onwards, upwards, and may the force be with you, as they say.
0: Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Cryptocurrency Teens podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, subscribe on your favorite podcast app and visit the CryptocurrencyTeens.com website to find extra resources and info. See you soon. Disclaimer, the views, information, or opinions expressed during this podcast are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent those of cryptocurrency teams and its staff. Second disclaimer is that this is not financial advice. The information contained in this podcast is not intended as and shall not be understood or construed as financial advice. In general, the advice offered by our guests should be general advice about the cryptocurrency industry or the blockchain industry and not specific investment advice.